0: Hello, Rich Bowlers here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. This week, I talk with parenting coach and stepmom mentor Tracy Poisner. Tracy's been a mom and stepmom for 14 years and has a special perspective on blended family dynamics and raising someone else's kids. This conversation with Tracy really gave me a new lens to view not only the challenges of step parenting, but also some of the challenges children whose parents have divorced must be undergoing. I hope you take away from this conversation as much as I did. Tracy Poisner, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I've been really looking forward to this conversation with you. Can you start off by giving us a bit of your background, Tracy?
1: Sure. Um, I never know quite where to start, but okay, I I was married and I had a child and then I got divorced and and I was a divorced mom, and I was a single mom. And then I, I got uh, a new partner, and, uh, a, and my partner had kids. And so then I also became a stepmom. And all while that was going on, I was working as a natural health practitioner. I did that for about 20 years. And I was also a very, uh, I would say, a very dedicated meditator, Uh, following a Buddhist tradition of meditation. So at a certain point, I realized that I was using a lot of tools that I had access to, um, things that I had learned uh, from Buddhist philosophy, things that I had learned from being a homeopath, the way I take a case, the way I understand human psychology and childhood development and family dynamics, all of those things were a big part of my practice. I was specializing in, in treating children with behavior problems at the time, so I realized that I was using a lot of tools that I had access to to help myself and my husband um, navigate the difficulties of of parenting after divorce and of uh, just you know building a new family in this uh, particular way, which is not it's not so obvious how that goes actually. We went through long-distance parenting and parental alienation and a lot of other challenges, court issues, legal battles, finances, um, until finally the kids were living here with us. And one day I it just sort of felt like, like all of that trouble was over and it felt to me like I was standing in the light at the end of the tunnel, literally. And I just really wanted to... I wanted to help other, well, other women, first of all, in my position, because I realized that that stepfamilies are becoming so numerous, like it's really almost the, the normal situation now. Apparently, half of all children under age 18 will experience living with, you know, one parent and the parent's new partner, at least part of the time. So this is a gigantic societal issue that I feel is not really getting enough attention and there aren't so many resources out there to help people. So I set out to create something and it's been a really enjoyable thing for me.
0: Yeah. And you've obviously been helping a ton of people in the process, Tracy. I
1: I guess so. I mean, well, I know so because they tell me, but, (laughs) um, but I, I went ahead and got certified as a life coach so that I could do this kind of work. And more recently, I've branched out into specifically trying to help the dads because I realized that there's even less resource out there for dads than there had been for the stepmoms.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us about the challenges that you came up against that you didn't actually anticipate?
1: I didn't anticipate any of it. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's the truth.
0: <laughs> yeah, no one sets out, um, I guess, <laughs> with uh, becoming a step parent in mind. I guess, and you've you've said that before. You?
1: Nobody grows up saying one day I hope I'll become a stepmom. You know, it doesn't happen. And I'll tell you that when my husband and I got together, uh, we had a, a friend, a mutual friend, who was a quite an elderly gentleman. Uh real character. I miss him very much. He's gone now. But anyway, I remember him saying to me, you are going to be such an important person for those kids. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I said, I'm not even going to see those kids. They live in another city. Like They live far away. They were living three hours away from us with their mom and my partner. I mean, he's now my husband, but at the time he was my partner. He was driving there every weekend to see them. So they were all hardly ever here they came a couple of times a year for a few days so I thought I don't even know what he's talking about I'm not going to see them at all and and then you know they all eventually came to live with us full time so that was a surprise that I was not expecting
0: (laughs) were there any sort of epiphanies on the way I've heard. I've been listening to your podcast, and and I've heard a, a couple of examples. But what what ones stick out in your mind is like, oh, I'm actually a stepmom now, or I actually managed to make that work. Or
1: I hated the idea of being a stepmom. I hate the word. I hate it. Um, I mean, I, I have to confess that I, maybe part of this work I'm doing is like uh, trying to heal myself, you know, over <laughs> this <laughs> over this hurdle because I have to say it so many times a day, but. I don't know, it just felt awful to me. Like there's there's no good model in in our uh, culture for a stepmom. Yeah. Like there's no happy there's no happy model of that. The the stepmom of of fairy stories or or Disney movies or whatever is a different kind of person. That's the lady who marries your dad when your mom passes away. Yeah. And she always has some kind of agenda. Uh, you know about cutting you out of the will or sending you off to boarding school or whatever. Uh, but there's no there's no model for this this person who partners up with your dad and you go somehow back and forth from one house to another. Um, I hated the the word. I hated calling myself that. And for the longest time, I when I because I only married my husband after we had been together for eight years, and so. I never knew what to call myself, um, and I when my my stepson moved here at around age thirteen, and I used to tell people he was my roommate. I mean, I would just make jokes about it and make light of it because I I didn't know what to what to call it. Like, who am I to you? And like, stepmom is awful. It's like governess or something. I mean, it, <laughs> it's like it, it's a weird kind of antiquated weird thing that doesn't. It didn't fit how I. Felt and I think my maybe my contribution that one of my contributions, anyway, to the women who I work with is to encourage them to find an identity for themselves that's um that's apart from the mom uh feeling and it's so easy for us as women to have to discover that our maternal instinct is being activated by being around children that that's just a thing it just happens you know yeah and so it's easy to just kind of slide into the mom role in the household without even really noticing and you have to be purposeful i think about mostly about staying away from that with the understanding that sometimes there are kids who Uh, really want or need that uh, that mom feeling it's kind of rare I would say in my experience I mean there are about a thousand women in my group so I've talked to a lot of ladies Um, it's kind of rare that that's something that a child really needs who has a living mother Um, but uh, but it's best to be you know like a like an aunt or an auntie or like like the mom next door your friend's mother or like a mentor, or like a fairy godmother, um, or like a cheerleader, you know, that a booster, I mean, you can be so many things that could make you a beloved person yeah. in your child's life, without without treading on that mother vibe, that that's where it gets dicey, what the child can accept from you, actually, yeah. in the way of in the way of affection or in the way of direction or um um correction. Well it's it's you know, really it, interesting. It
0: when when you say that, Tracy, it, it feels like if you take on the role of stepmom, you're immediately almost like usurping the mother position because it's it's competing with the mother. And yeah. I imagine that kids just see that as such a they'd feel almost, ah, oh, I don't want to betray my mom by like loving my exactly. stepmom Exactly. And so like yeah. if you take a different role then there's there's not that conflict. You know, it's
1: Exactly. That's really insightful what you just said because that that is exactly what happens. You know, it's a, and it's a piece that so many women don't understand. I hear all the time, uh, you know, everything was going so well. We have this great relationship and everything was fine and we were actually having a good time and then all of a sudden something happened. And my stepson or stepdaughter started uh, being really mean to me or started being really standoffish or acting rude all of a sudden out of nowhere. And I want to say like, yeah, what happens is that we are not wired as human beings to have two mothers. Like biologically, it's not part of our makeup from time immemorial. We don't, there's no way to integrate having two mothers I'm not talking about, like, same-sex households where both yeah. parents love and support each other. I mean, like like two Having mothers split, who do camps. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so in order to love you, which they... I mean, it, it's a wonderful thing if that happens. You can't have too many people in your life who love you, right? But in order to love you as a child, they have to push their own mother out of the nest, even temporarily. And when they realize for a split second that they've done that. They feel so guilty that they want to punish themselves. And they start acting out so that someone will punish them. Because they deserve it for being a bad, a bad son or a bad daughter. It's a reflex. And I've heard it again and again and again, I've heard it from adults reflecting on how they felt as a child also. Um, So, Anyway, that's, you're exactly right. That's what happens. And if you can, if you can stay away from that energy, then the child is not subjected to that psychological pretzel where they have to figure out who they are, how to be, who is who in my family, what, what is allowed, what isn't allowed.
0: Yeah. And how, how did your husband um, deal with this as well? Because obviously, you know, it, it it must've been a, a, a huge transition for him as well.
1: It was extremely traumatic for him um, in the beginning, but, um, but he was, he was making the trip, you know, he drove three hours to the city where they live every weekend and he would take a room and stay overnight. He would fill up the car, he would cook a whole day before leaving and he would fill up the car with, you know, meals for the week to because he had, he had been the, the parent who was doing most of the cooking in their family. So that was how he was able to still feel like he was caring, you know, in the same way for his kids that he would cook and take food to their place and it would go in the freezer and they would have meals for the week and he would phone every day. But, you know, it started to become really, um, really difficult when I think when the mom realized that it really wasn't, going to resolve and he really wasn't coming back. And uh, certainly at the point that he had another partner, then it became, you know, really, really difficult for her. And I can appreciate how hard that is, but nevertheless um, the kids would stop answering the phone when he would call. And he was very understanding of that and he would just persist and he would call two and three and four times in a row letting the phone ring until the answering machine until somebody would pick up the phone and then they would have their conversation. But that went on for years, every single day yeah. that nobody would answer the phone. And so it just like, it was the patience of Job. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how he did it. And really sometimes, sometimes it was too much and he just had to take a break and say, I, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And then after you know a week or two, he would get back in the saddle and, and just do it again. So it was, it was really hard for him. Yeah. Um, But he also had a lot of, I was going to say he had a lot of support from his, his older brother is a a kind of child psychologist, a school psychologist. So he had lots of really kind of sage advice uh, coming as well about how to manage those situations.
0: And do you remember any of that advice? Was it sort of just take your time, be patient. This will
1: Yeah. 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 Just, uh, it was just about like staying in your zone and being patient and understanding, understanding the conflict, I think of the, of the kids and what they were going through and understanding the stages of maturity and development that are natural yeah. Um. You know, the natural child development will lead them to a moment where this will naturally resolve. And it really did. Yeah, uh, it really did.
0: I mean, Crum's parenting on its own is hard enough.
1: Talk about parenting being difficult. I mean, one of the situations that he had to deal with is that he would go to this city where he didn't live. So it was always really hard to like it wasn't a real life situation. You sort of arrive, you pick up the kids and then you drive around, you go to a park, you go to the shopping mall, you go to the bowling alley, you go out for dinner, you maybe watch a movie. Um, it, it wasn't like a real life being at home kind of relaxed situation. And um, when when the kids would act up, f- just because they're being kids and it's completely natural, but when when dad would have to say that's enough now or no, you can't, have that thing that you want or stop fighting with each other, one of them would say, I want to go home.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep.
1: And um, it was so, so difficult to to parent in a natural, authentic way. Even when they would be here, it would be a rare, wonderful visit to have them for a weekend. And you don't want to spend part of your time with the kids in a timeout. You know, Um, you want to kind of uh, somehow uh inevitably you're more lenient than you might otherwise gonna, be yeah i was gonna ask
0: tracy do, it, can you actually fall into the 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 trap of being too lenient because you don't want to be the bad bad cop you just want oh, exactly. i just want peace and quiet we just want to have a good time let's do whatever it takes to smooth the wrinkles. exactly
1: place. exactly and i i would say that's the main situation that my clients the stepmoms that's the main problem that they complain about yeah that that the dad says, um, you know, y- you guys better stop that now or else blah, blah, blah. And then they don't stop, but the, the blah, blah, blah doesn't happen, you know, because he doesn't want to impose the consequence um, that he said he was going to do. And my husband had some really clever tricks. And I, I mean, I've tried to sort of reverse engineer what he did to <laughs> explain it because I don't think he had necessarily a, Uh, you know, this kind of plan in mind, but he's always had little, little funny tricks in terms of, of setting boundaries. And one of them was that um, his kids were used to this idea that when they really crossed a line, like when they really didn't do what they were told, and they'd been asked many times when he, when he was just going to lose it, he would take off one of his sandals and he wore those like um, Birkenstock sandals that were leather, you know, and like, smells pretty bad you know so he would he would hit his hand with the sandal as if he was gonna like he's just about to hit someone on the backside but they knew that wasn't what was coming he was gonna the the punishment was that they would have to smell the sandal you know and he would (laughs) chase them around with the sandal so it had that both the flavor of okay now you've gone too far and Mm. I'm really mad and he would get his frustrations out hitting his hand on the sandal and then they would laugh because he would chase them so it sort of it served the purpose of holding a boundary yeah, and being, being the dad and not just pretending that it didn't happen, but it was also lighthearted enough that it, it wasn't, um,
0: almost like a pattern like interrupt. A real...
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A pattern interrupt. That's exactly what it is. And, um, so there were a lot of those, you know. I remember uh, this is a really fond <laughs> story.
0: Right, I'm going to totally use that. I reckon my kids would like yeah. the smell of my sandals. <laughs> he has
1: another one that I think is just a brilliant bit of parenting. That um, his kids are quite close in age, and so they were, you know, three kids. Whatever they fight with each other, I mean, it's normal, you know. But as it w- would approach the the Christmas holiday, and everybody's getting rangy because they're eating lots of candy and they're staying up too late. And they're all excited because of all the elaborate celebrations or whatever. He would start telling them, uh, if you guys don't stop fighting, you know, he, he said like, what can I say here? I'm not going to say you're not getting your presents. That's ridiculous. Like whatever (laughs) they do, of course I'm going to cave on Christmas. So he would say, if I have to ask you again to stop doing this, I'm adding 15 minutes onto the waiting time. Oh, yeah. Like for the it. presents. Yeah. And so when Christmas morning came, he would make them sit for an hour and 15 minutes in <laughs> front of the tree.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Before they could open and they would have to count and he would tell them how much time was left and whatever and you know, they still talk about that and it's it's funny, but it it served the purpose. Yeah. Like and so I think there you have to have um a toolbox of consequences yeah. that you can hand out, which are, like you said, it's a pattern interrupt or it's something, you know, it just has to be enough that you do what you said you were going to do yes. because that's the whole point. And the, you just have to demonstrate that you did what you said you were going to do. It doesn't really matter what it is.
0: Yeah. The worst thing I think, and this was my default initially, I would be highly emotive at the point of this thing going on. So I'd throw out a ridiculous like punishment that, right. was, that I was never right. going to follow through on. That, and then, yes. then you kind of screwed. You're like, oh man, of course I'm not going to do that. And they know Yeah, it. exactly. And so you're exactly. right. Having those really sort of, I guess light versions of consequences, but they are actually really geared around, say, delay gratification or something like that. That's great. Are there exactly. any other tools that you can think of, Tracy? Um, oh,
1: my god, I like gosh.
0: the 15-minute delay on the Christmas present. It's good,
1: that, that's eh? Gold. That's a good one. That's, that's the, oh gosh, I, I that's heard the one, only one that jumps to mind.
0: Because one of our friends, she actually was on holiday with her son. She'd separated from her husband and her son was about, I think he was about four, or five, no, five at the time. And he was really pushing the boundaries one day with her. And she literally just th- threw all his Christmas presents out. Like it was about three days before Christmas. And she just spat the dummy and said, right, that's it. There, You're not getting any Christmas presents. But she followed through. And from that moment on, they it's almost like that was the turning point in the relationship once his dad had left. But that's extreme, and I don't think many people would actually want to or be able to follow through on that, whereas uh, yeah, this 15-minute well, thing, is that's great.
1: Yeah, it is great. And um, the, the other one that I recall is that when the, when the oldest son moved here uh, at 14, they all came one at a time, by the way, and my daughter had lived here with us before. She's older than all the rest of them by 8 or 10 years so she was just gone to college when we got together, but he had lived here before that. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but anyway. So we've been the serial parents of an only child four times.
0: <laughs> so he gets a to do over every uh, couple yeah, of years. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it's been wonderful actually. But anyway, so the, the, when the oldest boy first came here, um, he's the one who has most struggled with boundaries. He's got the most oppositional personality for sure, Uh, he was, he was the hardest one to manage in terms of rules and consequences and boundaries. Um, but my husband had already been, you know, primed because he was the kind of guy who would say, you know, you have five minutes now to stop your game. And then when the game, you know, when they, when the time would come, he would just walk over to the computer and push the off button. So now the, you know, the boy has his own bedroom and the door is closed and whatever, you know. And he said, 11 o'clock, it's a school night. Like, no more no more video games after 11 o'clock. And, you know, the warning comes at quarter to 11 or 10 to 11 or whatever. And I think it only happened once, but he my husband went downstairs and flipped the breaker to <laughs> yeah. turn off the power to the whole second floor of the house. Yeah. Um, so it's like there's no there's no fighting about it. There's no, um, it's not an argument. It's just, this is what happens. Yeah. And when, then when, when the, the youngest one came, uh, I remember that she was playing online with friends one night and I overheard her say, you guys, it's five to 11. I have to stop because my dad is totally going to turn the power <laughs> off. And she was laughing and he had never threatened it to her, but it became like a,
0: you know, kind of family lore,
1: the urban myth, you know, dad's going to turn the power off. So yeah, that was, that was another good
0: one. I've actually, because I find the timer works really well because it almost outsources as well. It's like, oh, the time is gone. It's not me making a call. It's the clock. It's the phone making an alarm. So it kind of removes you one step from that. And I heard one um, lady go a step further where she actually uh, designed a, a, a pepper cracker. That would turn off the Wi-Fi, and so she would be preparing dinner. As soon as she oh, yeah. cracked this pepper cracker, <laughs> the Wi-Fi would turn off. So, like all of a sudden, I have heard all, of that. all the all the devices would die, and, and they'd never know who was to blame. But they're like, "Oh bugger, let's go to dinner."
1: <laughs> I I have heard of that, and I think it's brilliant. But there's one more thing that that um, really, they, I mean his his kids are so easy and well behaved. We haven't had to resort to a lot of of tricks that way um but that inviting the kids to help make the rules and to set the consequences is a really really valuable exercise
0: yeah and they can be really brutal with the consequences as well
1: exactly they? they that's what i always hear that kids will be way more they will invent consequences much more extreme than what you would have um decided on their behalf and then and then it's not you at all you're you've got it <laughs> written down somewhere yeah. like this was they you can be in their handwriting like this is what you said was going to happen and they almost enjoy it i remember when my daughter was really 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 little she went to a babysitter on our street who had four or five kids in a daycare setting and she was the littlest one so she was just turned 2 maybe and the older kids were 4 and 5 and i remember at one point she did something like ridiculous that she wasn't supposed to do as a little girl. And she looked at me and she said, I stand in the corner. (laughs) And then she went and took herself to the corner and stood there. Like she wanted to like experience that consequence that the other kids were being bad and getting sent to the corner. And she never got to do that. As far as she was concerned, it was like a, a mark of maturity or something, (laughs) a rite of passage. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, they do. They kids will, kids will, um, they do understand the rules, you know, you get them looking up like how many hours of sleep does a kid your age need? And well, let's count. Now, when do you want to, when do you wake up in the morning? When do you have to get up to go to school? Let's count backwards. What does that mean? When do you have to go to bed? How long does it take to get ready for bed? Let's count backwards. Yeah. So like, no, no, they like, will but, participate but that, in that. That means
0: we're getting ready for bed at 4.30 here. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what are, when you were talking earlier as well, um, we were talking about the challenges of of being the stepmom or the stepparent. What do you think some of the biggest challenges are for the, the stepchildren? Like, what are they going through that you know you noticed or you've had um, other stepmoms talking about?
1: Well, I think one thing that we don't um, pay enough attention to is how difficult it is to live in two places where. Um, you either, you either don't feel like you have an actual home, like a place that's home, or that you are constantly having to interrupt what you're doing. I mean, talk about kids who don't like to stop what they're doing to come for dinner. Like, how about drop everything, and now it's time to go to dad's house? Or now we're just having fun, and it's time to go back to mom's house. Yeah, The transitions are awful. It's yeah. really, really hard. Uh, That's what everyone complains about. The transition day even is awful. And then some people have this insane schedule where they change houses every two days so that there's no moment where you finally feel stable. Like you're either just arriving or you're just leaving.
0: You constantly need a bag with like your essentials in, wouldn't you?
1: Well, not just that, but essentials for a kid, as you and I know, when you go away for a weekend, you're packing <laughs> the minivan onto the roof with essentials, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. There's the special blanket and the special stuffies and yeah. the games that you can't be without and the, you know, the um, running shoes or sandals and boots and the raincoat and a swimsuit and the, you know, there's always something that you've forgotten somewhere. Yeah. There's always something that you're missing out on. Something is happening. A lot of, uh, not so nice parents uh, make a point of doing something that the kids miss out on so that they stop wanting to, you know, go to the other place so that they'll deny a visit because something special is happening during the other parents' time. And they they have friends that they're not able to play with. Certainly as kids get older, as they get to be 13, 14 years old, it's a tragedy to not be available when your friends are doing something and you're excluded because you're, you're not there, you're in another home. Yeah. So, um, and I think the idea of having two parents who, um, who are at odds with each other, whose, whose interests are different in some way with, and that the child is, is aiding and abetting one parent against the other all the time that reminds me of a client that i had in my homeopathy practice who was who ha- was in a work situation where she had they they had sort of split her her work hours in such a way that she was answerable to two bosses she was reporting to two different bosses yeah. and at some moment these two bosses were vying for the same promotion in the oh, wow. you know in the company yeah and like whatever she did she was undoing the work of that she was doing on the other side and i think that's that's a lot of the time how these kids feel that they're they're sitting on a kind of fence and it's impossible to feel okay
0: yeah i mean cuz this straight up like looking from the outside in that there must be a, you know two main separations there's the harmonious ones where it's like people just decide and it's very sort of you know This is not working. We separate, and we're going to try and do whatever we can to support the kids through this. Mm -hmm. But then there's the, the uh, opposite of that, which must be the really toxic ones. Um, You know, the two parents fighting, using the weaponizing the kids, and all that sort of stuff. And I can't even imagine what it does to, to, does to the kids.
1: I can't imagine either and I it's it's what moves me to do this kind of work because I think that with the numbers that we're talking about I mean just I don't know about in Australia but in the US I'm in Canada so I'll I'll say in, let's say in North America there are something like 15 million step families in round numbers and so you know even if there are an average of two kids in each of these homes then there are 30 million children coming into adulthood at any given moment with this kind of profoundly broken um, home life dynamic, like yeah. profoundly. It's not, you say, you know, that coming from a broken home sounds maybe overly dramatic, but sometimes the, it's, the, it's the dynamic between the parents that's, that's it's really almost like broken.
0: coming from warring homes. It's almost like Romeo yeah. and Juliet sort of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, Absolutely.
0: Because and I've heard you talk about you know the myth of the blended um sort of family as well. Can you talk to us a bit about that Tracy?
1: yeah um I think that um there's a there is a myth that that the blended family is as a kind of a different version. it's like a a color overlay version of a regular traditional nuclear family that maybe there's you know something different about it like it's all the same people except for one parachuted in different like some new actress in the role of mom and wife but that in all for all accounts and purposes it's like the original family in some way and i think that's what a lot of people going into it think it's going to be and it's nothing like that at all it's a it's like a venn diagram with overlapping circles and the the woman who's in the situation of being the the new wife or girlfriend partner, um, she often feels that there's something wrong with her because she's not achieving this feeling of being a family altogether. And what I tell her, what I tell my clients is what I tried to do myself, which is, Not think of it that way. Like, I'm not trying to insert myself into their family. Their family has its own bubble. And they were a thing before I came along. And there's no room for me there because there is a mother already in that bubble, even if she doesn't live here with us. But I am making a new family with my husband. And he and I are inviting those children to participate in this family with us. And the reason that works better, like dynamically, is because we are actually wired to have two families. That's what happens when you get married. You join yeah. another family without leaving your other family. So we have thousands of years of evolution, evolutionary kind of, you know,
0: Wire, like getting wiring. this into
1: our yeah. wiring, you know, that, that it's safe to have another family. They, every child knows that their mom and dad, belong in some way to each other's families and that they accept, you know, the grand we we have grandparents on both sides or aunts and uncles on both sides and that they understand that they're part of two families already in that way and they they can wrap their heads around that and it feels safe, it feels okay to do. And so it may sound like the same thing but it's not. When you're building a new family, you're being really intentional about creating experiences that that everybody can um, f- you know, integrate in some way. And I know one stepmom who did such a smart thing. She used to take little Polaroid pictures of their family adventures together and she would frame them and put them on the wall. And she put them on the stairs of their home so they were sort of at eye level of the kids, but so that subliminally they're integrating these images of themselves as a family together with you as the new person and there's no there's no sense they don't experience you trying to butt in to their family so that you're still leaving space for the dad and his kids to do things on their own without you and that kind of honors the the family energy of their the family of origin which still exists even after a divorce
0: yeah and do you think there are any? I mean, yeah. It's it sounds like creating a, a new family seems a much healthier way to look at it. Um, I, I heard you talk about the way the French describe it as well. What, what's the yeah. French word for it?
1: Uh, it's a they they say famille recomposée. A uh, uh, famille recomposée. It's like a, I don't know if you've ever gone to a French restaurant and seen salade composée. You know, it's a it's a, sa, a salad. Of um, not like we like Americans make a tossed salad where everything's chopped in little pieces and kind of homogenized all together, but tossed all together. A, a French salad has everything laid out in little, or it's in little clumps. You know, the things that belong together go together. But so, like a recomposed family, like it's a family composed of new pieces.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, which is a, a lovely term instead of the bleeping step thing again <laughs> that d- doesn't really you know no,
0: doesn't, doesn't do, do it for me changes. and
1: and blended has that like you know that that idea that everything's gone in the blender and it's all homogenous yeah. it's not homogeneous there's though there are two families in that family there's the old one that is the dad and the kids and they still get to they still get to be a family together there are things Every day that happened in my family that don't involve me. And I I purposefully exclude
0: myself. Give them space for that. Do you think that's a really important step as well? Actually allowing them to hold space just as the dad and his kids. Oh, God, yes. Rather than...
1: It's so, it's so important. It must
0: be quite tempting, though, for a new stepmom to just jump it never no, never mind yeah.
1: it's tempting for an old stepmom like i'm dying to be a fly on the wall and hear the whole <laughs> conversation because of course i would love to like flatter myself by thinking that you know well i would never do that but you know <laughs> they need space to talk about their mom yeah in a place where she's not going to be judged by someone outside of their family yeah. they can slag her all they want together the three of the you know whatever when they're together they can they can do that but when you bring a stranger in you know imagine this like like i might i might say to my husband you know oh god my mother's driving me crazy i mean she doesn't often in truth but i could say you know there goes my dad again like doing that thing right like oh man it bugs me when he does yeah. that but if my husband were to <laughs> say to me yeah there goes your dad again doing that thing. Like now it's insulting, right? That's right.
0: That's fighting talk.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like there needs to be some space for those to unpack that, all that history that they have together that doesn't involve me. And typically when I stay out of the conversation after an hour or so, or however long it takes, um, one of them will, Sort of give me the recap, like they, they will bring me in to the conversation eventually, yeah. and if they don't, that 's okay too. but um, I still no, of course I do. I deliberately leave myself out of it. If I hear well, for years, I used to stay upstairs and not come down until the whichever child was living here had gone to school, so that they had breakfast time alone with their dad, and that was a reliable time of day when I was not going to uh, pop around the corner unexpected they they would know that like I just don't ever present myself at that hour of the day and it's time for them to be together and talk about whatever they need to talk about that doesn't involve me or concern me that you have to give that kind of space um and I think it's appreciated I really do
0: yeah what what are some of the other routines Tracy um especially around like the transitions and so on that you found work really well
1: um, you want there to be something kind of, um, I want to say ritual and that's maybe not the right word, but something routine, something like that's comforting in the way that like, I, I'm here now and this is how we do things here. So, um, so there would typically be a, a meal that their dad would have cooked That's going to be, that's what we're going to, they're going to eat when they get here, you know, that it's going to be that, or that, uh, or that we always go out to the same restaurant when they, we always get the same Indian food or whatever it is, you know, that there are, I mean, you're probably catching on that there's a lot of rituals around food in this house because we like to eat. (laughs) But, um, but um, no, I, I encourage people to make a kind of a transition ritual. We didn't have those kind of transitions because they live so far away. Um, It was a, it was a a rare opportunity when they would come here to stay. And it was really hard to make those kind of um, like opportunities to, to cool down the, the transition. Transitions were just hard. I can just tell you that we used to bemoan the fact that like by Sunday, they were relaxed and having a good time here. And they (laughs) had had a few hours until (laughs) they had to, turn around and go home you know so so it was it was just hard because we didn't have enough opportunity to do it um again and again but but i think that the more you can say like it's always pizza night on friday when they arrive like you know what the meal is going to be you know what that we're going to watch a movie after supper or that we're all going to go for a bike ride after supper or that you know, Friday night is the night that we put sleeping bags in the living room and dad stays, you know, sleeps with us in the living room or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, certainly my husband used to sleep, uh, with, in our case, it's in the in the attic where we had all the, the beds and, um, you know, he would stay up there with them and that was something that they would look forward to because it was kind of felt like a camp like out. going camping, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and um, what did you find around, like, I, I guess – the the question that goes on from the transitions is what have you found when the it's an it's a, a non-harmonious split and there's almost like the the other parents trying to undermine or that sort of thing are there ways that like rituals can actually buffer against that sort of negativity that's sort of bestowed on the kids just before they're set off did you do your clients see much of that happening or
1: well it's a that's a bigger I think it's a bigger problem than just simply the rituals, because I think the three things that that a high conflict ex can can do can say to the kids, like the message. There are three main messages, let's say, which are um, you're not loved over there. Well, first of all, you're not safe over there. Your dad is not a safe person for you mm. for whatever reason. Um, I I even heard one story where a a mom told her little boy that the dad had gone to jail for murder Whoa! and that he was a murderer, you know, I mean, you just hear the most incredible things anyway. So the first thing is you're, you're not safe with your dad. Uh, The next thing is you're not loved. Your dad doesn't really love you. He left us. He abandoned us. He's got a new family now, whatever. And the third thing is you're not seen. Your dad doesn't understand you. He doesn't listen to what you're saying. He doesn't really know you the way I do. Whatever. So those does
0: this sort those of fit three, three messages, messages the parental alienation is that sort of
1: well I it, this is like level one, you know, um, and I think a lot of a lot of parents do this unconsciously. Like they would probably never imagine that they are you know, trying to alienate their kids, but they just are holding a grudge against this the spouse that they have broken up with. And they feel like they're protecting their kids. They want their kids to know that dad is not a safe person. Like, he certainly wasn't safe for me. Yeah. So, like, I don't trust him to take care of you. He's not reliable. Um, you know, he doesn't do what he says he's going to do, whatever it might be. Sometimes the, the mom really really believes that she's um, protecting her kids Yeah, by saying those things. And it's the strongest so,
0: urge, isn't it, to protect our kids? And if you actually believe there is even a slight risk, you're going to do that naturally.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So um, I, think, I think that the way to counter those kind of messages is with nonverbal communication. And that has to do with, what i said before with setting up a lot of a lot of routine and rhythm in your house so that things are really happening in a very calming repeti- repetitive predictable way that you are making a point of announcing what's coming next all the time and then doing it so that they get used to the idea that you you do what you say you're going to do even if it's you know constantly saying now we're going to do this, and then we're going to clean up, and then we're going to have supper. Like, though, just announcing what's coming next all the time. Or, like, now it's Friday night, tomorrow's going to be Saturday, we're going to do this, this, and this, and then you're going to sleep here again, and then on Sunday we're going to get up and have that special breakfast, and then we're going to do this and this, and then I'm going to drive you home.
0: Uh, yeah, because when, then you, when you say that, like, because kids' understanding of time can be really hard for them to grasp and so they if they don't even know how long they're going to stay in one place they they're sort of in limbo the whole time
1: exactly for us it's obvious because we know how to read a calendar and you have your your journal all marked up with stuff and you know what's happening all the time um, and we forget to tell kids what's on the agenda either because it feels obvious to us or we just don't realize that we haven't told them. So like, where am I sleeping? You know, that we would be nice to know they, (laughs) they have so little control. And even I can tell you, even when you talk about time, like I, we've gone many, many times together as a family to visit my husband's extended family. And it's about a seven hour drive from here. So it's a big trip. We go about three times a year. But even as teenagers, I would make a point, of saying, you know, I poke my head around the corner at some point and say, you guys know that tomorrow's our last day here. And inevitably they'd go, what? (laughs) Like always, you know, like just, just checking, you know, that we're leaving the day after tomorrow. Right. And then again, you know that today's our last day here. Right. So though, I think those things are important and they just add to an overall feeling of safety and reliability I think it's important to um, again to involve kids in the rule making because one of the one of the things that high conflict parents like to do is to undermine normal parenting and make it seem sort of pathological, like I can't believe your dad makes you go to bed at nine o'clock does he think you're a baby yeah like you know, like, I would never do that, you know, you're allowed to just make your own bedtime here, because who cares, right? So that if you whatever it might be, if you engage the kids in saying, what do you think is reasonable? How much screen time is reasonable in 24 hours, if the day is 24 hours long, and how much of it are you awake? And how much do you need to do? Like how many hours of time in between all the other things, you can add it all up and say how much of that time should be spent on a screen. Okay, and how would you like to break that up? Do you want it all at once? Or do you want it in two chunks? And what time of day should it be? And like, what happens? Like, how are we going to get you off so that you stay within this limit? And if you engage them in making those rules, it makes it much harder for the other parent to say, that was so unreasonable. I can't believe that he, you know, makes you do that because they know that they participated in it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Tracy. Yeah, no, I mean that works really well. It's like the consequences thing—you decide the consequences. Yeah. <laughs> Although the, I, I'm not sure whether my eldest would be hard on herself when it comes to uh, iPad time at the moment. She's yeah, just, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All, the, the, we did put parental controls on. it. It's the best thing we ever did to start with, because so she's really? never, we've never had to rein it in, which I think that's would be great. a nightmare if it's just gone the other way. So that's um, great. Now you mentioned right at the start that meditation was a big part of your early Mm -hmm. journey and i get the feeling that this has really helped with your parenting and you know looking after your husband's children as well how much of a part do you think that has actually played in you being a lot more able to emotionally deal with being a parent
1: huge it's been huge um I don't know where I would be, honestly. (laughs) I I mean, I suppose I would have, maybe I would have had more counseling therapy or something if I hadn't had that, but it it was huge for me. And I'll say also that it continues to be huge for my husband, who is a much more devoted meditator than I am. He, he, um, He meditates for an hour twice every day, which... (laughs) May, like it's, <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like it's really impressive, yeah. but he knows that he needs to do that yeah. to hold himself together. That's what holds him together. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where he would be without that. So it, that's been, um, it's been really, I, I can't say enough about, uh, about meditation as a tool for, seeing things as they are, for accepting that that uh, change is the nature of everything. Things are changing all the time. And that we can't we can't, you know, that it's it's pointless to be attached to something that's going to change anyway. And of not not being attached to outcomes, you know, to to kind of walking in the right direction and not being, uh, not trying to control things that we can't actually control. Yeah.
0: Focus on the process. So
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. I, I think very highly of, there are so many ways to meditate and all of them are good. Any, any way is good.
0: Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And, um, it's been a, a huge part in, in sort of our journey as well. I think, um, really. Uh, massively I was trying to attribute like there are certain times when I knew when the children had done something that previously like even six months previously I would have flipped out at that thing and I I saw and I remember stopping and saying to myself I wonder what tape you're playing right now like what tape is that Mm -hmm. playing in your head and and it was almost like being the watcher of myself yeah And and it just gave me that pause and I was like that's amazing you give yourself that that, you know, five second pause before reacting and you can change how you show up. And, and I, I, you know, that was one thing that I thought, wow, this, this, this is really good. This is great to be in this It's position. really,
1: it's really good, man. And just exactly what you said, you know, the idea of, of, uh, uh, you know, that previously something might happen and you, you stay mad about it for three days and then, after some time of meditating things happen and you you are mad for 8 hours and then something happens and you're mad for an hour and a half yeah and then then before you know it you're mad for 15 minutes <laughs> and uh, you know and that's how it goes it's not like you're you're just not going to be count you're going to be like beyond human that nothing ever makes you angry anymore or you never lose your patience or lose your temper or whatever but you're you're just expanding that little window yeah. between where something happens and you react to it. So it just, like you said, it gives you that moment to, to just say, maybe, maybe it's not what I think, or yeah. maybe I can do this differently or uh, it's amazing.
0: And, and that ties into something you've said before, Tracy, around choosing your battles around almost like your values. By picking a couple of values that are that you will yeah. live and die by those values, but everything else you can actually, you know, let slide That's maybe. It. I mean, how do you actually get people to, to come up with those? What what's the
1: Well, I just did that actually. I just ran a um a little boot camp of three days in my I have a, a group for dads on Facebook as well for the for the mostly their most of them are husbands of the women in my stepmom group, but some other divorced dads have just found us randomly on Facebook but I did a little boot camp that was 3 days of um oh what did the guys ask me they I I I suggested some topics and they picked the idea of how to stick to your guns without being the bad guy yeah that you know like exactly what we're talking about you know how to set limits and feel good about it without feeling guilty or like you you have to be the bad cop in order to make that happen and So we went through on each day, I did about an hour, uh, a a kind of training. And we started off with um, picking these values. And you just start with, you know, I I just made a list of 10 or 20 values that they could look at, you know, um, honesty, loyalty, hard work, uh, financial responsibility, whatever they might be, you just look at them and think, If I had to put these into groups, like which, like, let's find a few that are the most important and which ones could be at the bottom of the list. And then you just kind of narrow them down. And I like to offer little challenges to say, well, okay, if you think that, let's say, loyalty feels like a really important issue for you, uh, how do you respond to that? if your kids are behaving in a way that is loyal to their mom while they're with you, like loyalty is the value. Yeah. And your kids are, are showing
0: demonstrating loyalty. loyalty.
1: (laughs) yeah, They're demonstrating loyalty. So, you know, how are you going to feel about that? And uh, the idea is to say, like either it makes you say, I can deal with it better if I, I do feel that loyalty is important to me. And that gives me some insight into how to react when something like that happens, because I reflect on the idea that they're demonstrating loyalty. Or you can say, I don't think there's any way that I could be okay with that. So maybe I have to ditch loyalty as my most important thing and <laughs> go with something else, right? Or even if it's honesty, if your kids are expressing loyalty to their mother, They're being honest, even though they know maybe that it hurts your feelings. And so you have to honor the fact that they're being honest with you. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't, that's what I tell the moms who say, I can't stand it when my stepkids are lying. They lie all the time. They're lying, lying. I say, well, you have to be okay with it when they tell you the truth. Like, whatever they tell you, that's true. You have to receive it, respecting that they're being honest and not let those things piss you off you know yeah so you just play with these ideas and try to find scenarios that could challenge you in that in that little place and then like you're not carving them in stone right you just (laughs) run with it for a while and see how it feels and I think it's something that's always evolving to be honest not in a it's not uh it's not a failure to say I've I've changed my core values. You know, you're getting closer and closer to who you yeah, really are it's, it's as you work like this. Um, but that once you know those things, then you can then you have a sense of what's important and what's not important. So that instead of when you say pick your battles, it usually has to do with how much patience you have at any given moment for putting yeah. up with stuff, or where you you know you're out of patience, and so you blow up about something like it would be better to to gauge what things are important by how close they those things are to your most important values.
0: And, and I, I like the idea of going through it beforehand. So it's predetermined. So you're not on the back foot and you're put in a situation. Is this one of those really important things that I have to, you know, come down hard on?
1: Yeah, well and that's why I this is the number two of this is something that I got from Brene Brown, you who you mentioned that yep. you, you really like her a lot and I really, really admire her work. And I like it so much because everything that she talks about is um grounded in research, because that's she's a researcher. So it's all about data that whatever she talks about is supported by data. And she says that choosing two kind of guiding principles and she's mostly using this in a business context, but of course it applies to personal life as well, that if you have more than two guiding principles, it starts to become cumbersome. You can't keep them in front of you all the time. Yeah. It's it's too much to remember. So just pick two and see how that goes for you. See if it's you feel more relaxed, that you can just say, like, is this a breach of something that I consider... What I live or die by, yeah, and if it if it isn't, then maybe it's something that you can that you can let go of,
0: yeah, yeah, I'll definitely give that a go that sounds uh uh very useful tracy <laughs> now you you've mentioned I, the, the sorry, I was going to say you've mentioned the uh, the workshop that you ran uh, called Stick to mm-hmm. your guns um yeah, can you m- mention some of the other things you're working, some of the other projects you're working on at the moment or, or where people can find you
1: yeah i um, well, they can find me, um, I have an, uh, I have a podcast called Essential Stepmom. My website is called essentialstepmom.com. I have a Facebook page called Essential Stepmom, Undeletable Dad. And I've combined those two things together because I wanted there to be a place where the stepmoms and the dads could both find resources. Otherwise, I have a Facebook group for stepmoms um, that is called the spectacular stepmom. Actually, just because it would be too easy if everything had the same name, <laughs> and the uh, the the moms there said for the longest time, this information is so great and it's such a great community. I wish there was one for the dads, and so I created one and I called it One for the Dads.
0: <laughs> great.
1: So it's on it's on Facebook. Yeah. And the the program that I'm offering at the moment is uh, a six month live coaching program, live being virtual, um, a, a group coaching with a one-on-one component, um, and it's called Undeletable Dad Academy. Yeah. And the object there is really to, to restore the broken dynamic between parent and child for divorced dads so that the, the bond is unwavering. Yeah. And no matter what, no matter what comes up. Um, and mostly in the context of parental alienation where there's a really a high conflict atmosphere between the the two ex-spouses and the kids are being really heavily conditioned to dislike or disrespect or distrust their dad so we're working on just restoring that connection that bond and restoring the good parenting dynamic it's so important it's not just about uh, you know, having a good time together, you have to be able to make the impact that you want in this child 's life that is the the life satisfaction of being a parent is in bringing your children into adulthood with hopefully some with some of your core values and not knowing what those are makes it really hard to to do that so we do work on uh, getting clear on your values, and from there we move forward to uh, choosing goals that uh, that reflect those values, choosing forming strategies that will be in service of those goals. And finally, putting in place the, the tools and techniques and tactics of parenting, the specific parenting tools that will um, support those strategies so that you can get where you're trying to go.
0: Ah, oh, that's brilliant, Tracy. I, I love the work you're doing. Uh, I think it's so important. Thank you so much, and I'm really grateful for you to take the time out today as well. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's a
1: pleasure. It's so great to talk to you. You're you're a wonderful um, conversationalist.
0: Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tracy as much as I did. I'll leave a link to Tracy's details on the website in case you'd like to get in touch with her and explore the blogs, Facebook groups, and workshops she runs. If you are enjoying these conversations, please give the show a rating and even more so, please review it. I love reading the reviews and it really helps others discover the podcast. Well, that's all from me for now. I hope you stay safe and sane and until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage.